0: FX Medicine is evolving the same evidence-based research ideas and thought-provoking conversations that you love in refreshed new formats to help co-create it with us and for member rewards sign up at fxmedicine.com.au for now enjoy this podcast previously recorded with Andrew Whitfield-Cook This podcast is intended as healthcare practitioner education only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis or treatment.
1: This is FX Medicine, I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Joining us on the line today is Julie Seema, a naturopath and herbalist who has an extensive career working in both practitioner-only and retail spaces as a trainer, educator and writer. She firmly believes in a collaborative approach to patient care involving multiple modalities. Julie recently published her first book, Your Body is Your Teacher, It Whispers Until It Has to Scream which explores the concept of illness as an opportunity and not of shooting the messenger as a default. Julie is a passionate advocate for the destigmatization of mental illness as one touched closely by suicide and is a staunch supporter of our profession. Julie, welcome to FX Medicine, how are you? I'm well,
2: Andrew, thank you so much for having me.
1: What are the kind of insights that you've gained from working in the pharmacy space as a naturopath and on a day-to-day basis?
2: Well, I've really realised as a clinician, and I have had my own clinic in various parts of Australia um, for around over 18 years, but I think the most revealing to me has been um, practising and training in pharmacy, because you realise that that is the hub of the town. You know, even in your local suburban area, everybody's going in there for Um, scripts for their elderly parents or asthma asthma pumps for their children, various things. And it it really is where it's all happening. And now, particularly today, where those spaces are also equally filled up to the rafters almost with supplements, you really understand why people are self-prescribing and pharmacists are struggling with the co-management because there's just such a great demand for them to be quick, to be fast. They even have robots um, dispensing the scripts to keep up with pace. So it really does just give you a, a greater perspective of what's happening with the layperson, the, the general person out there who can't afford to come into our clinic.
1: I want to investigate that relationship with pharmacists and, and their, their customers, their patients, if you like. But before we do, I, I just want to ask you, do you find a vast difference between the types of conditions you see when you're in clinic to the types of conditions that you'd help to co-manage with a pharmacist while working in a pharmacy?
2: I guess it, def- it would depend on what you specialise in your clinic. In my clinic, um, I do see all sorts of things and I have specialised in various topics over the past, whether it's fat loss, pre- and postnatal, and now my great passion is mental health and wellbeing and the physiological effects of grief. Um, so my clients are a bit more specialized in that area with mental health issues mainly um, of course you get to see everybody in pharmacy I feel like it's we are in an aging society so you're seeing a lot more people coming in who are on a long list of scripts um, they're not, not the people we see in our clinics you know they they don't have the time almost to be unwell so they are uh, getting their script, soldiering on, dealing with life's demands and unable to, unlike our clients, sit and go, you know what, I need to invest in my health. I'm listening to my body. It's starting to whisper. I don't want it to begin screaming at me mm. and I'm going to go and see a practitioner. So, you know, it, it, and we are in an ageing society, so that's where I think most people are.
1: And, and indeed, this is one of the hallmarks of or one of the reasons why patients say they find benefit, and that is because they feel that they're listened to by a natural health practitioner. Um, There there just isn't the time in the modern orthodox medicine system to be able to actually listen for longer than 8 to 10 minutes. It speaks volumes about that thing of time. There's always, of course, that economic issue of time is money. Um, so how do you work that in where you're giving good quality time to patients while still being able to keep the doors open of the pharmacy that you're working in?
2: Yeah absolutely and you're right we all know that and I mentioned in my book you know that that sense of um, extra healing when you have a nurse that really um, looks after you in hospital versus one that has a bad bedside manner you know and we we do see the doctors don't have the time. I, you know, you, you, in pharmacy, you do see some pharmacists that really stop and you know listen to um, their customer. They know where they're living. They know that their dogs died. They know all this sort of stuff. But you're right, they are they are limited by the time. And I just see that that is it, it would be such an opportunity for us to be in that space more somehow and be able to um, fix that that area in between because we do have the time and. Maybe those people can't afford to come and spend an hour with us, but they could spend maybe 20 minutes or 15 minutes in our herbal dispensary that is part of the pharmacy. Mm. That would be my ideal situation.
1: Absolutely. And I I think also there's this... um Maybe a preconception um, that there's just a selling of the supplements by the pass, but there's still you've still got to work within your responsible scope of practice, which includes relevant patient case history taking um, and relevant note keeping. You know, I think as long as that's done properly, it actually fosters a great co-management model
2: absolutely and look in the good pharmacies where they do have a clinic there or the pharmacists are very open to supplements and they have a great range of practitioner products behind the counter that does happen because the pharmacist she may just be work uh, naturopath or nutritionist who may just be working on the floor she has access to those records so she is in the best position where she can minimize adverse reactions to their scripts she can optimize those scripts with with their supplements, and I say to pharmacists, you've got two hands. One should be for the script, and one should be for the for the supplement, whatever that is, because you want win wins. You want them talking out, feeling better, and to optimise that script so they get the best out of out of their medication.
1: Yeah, in a responsible, you know, judicious manner. This is one of the the things that I love about. Um, I'll, I'm going to call it a text. Let's call it a reference uh, material, and it's by Yvonne Coleman, a dietitian, and she has this great online reference now, where it's particularly useful with multiple medications, where you can look at nutrient interactions or common nutrient interactions between the medications where you might see, let's take, for instance, B6 might be, you know, not just um, interacted with on one medication, but on several medications. And lo and behold, the patient might be exhibiting a symptom of a possible deficiency of of B6. And it really hones in your judicial supplementation to a relevant and evidence-based manner, which I love. I just love it.
2: Oh, it sounds wonderful. And and just to have that information, because when I'm sitting in my clinic, I'm often thinking, okay, they've told me what their doctor's name is and what they believe they're taking. But to have that conversation with their pharmacist and understand, okay, there are some adverse reactions here. We we started off with one medication, yep. but now she's on three or four or five. Hang on a minute, and then they'll give another. We may, they may have to give another supplement to a script to um, co-manage that other script so as practitioners we also must be aware of, of removing scripts because if we do one of those may be in there to manage a co- an adverse reaction of one of the other ones so it's almost like a building block you can't just take one out because it may all crumble and that's why these conversations are so important
1: yes and and likewise you know with with poly supplementation I've seen that as well where you know, one person goes to several different um, venues and procures a same or similar supplement. Do you see that as a common area when you're working in pharmacy that people come in with, you know, a sort of bag of supplements and you need to go, whoa, back there?
2: Absolutely. And we have to remember that they're grabbing things off the shelf while they're walking along with their shopping trolley at the supermarket. So they might just grab some extra glucosamine or buy vitamin B6. And yeah. B6 is a classic example because what because I had a client who has been seeing me for quite quite a you know, several years and she was actually taking B6 for all of those years without telling me at a really high dose, like three times a day. And we've only now, after maybe six months, been able to identify that it was this very, very high dose of B6 that she'd been self-dispensing. And you're right, then, you know, they may have seen the osteopath or the chiropractor that's offered something or they walk into their health food shop to get, you know, some flaxseed oil or what have you but then grab another another um, supplement. Yeah. So suddenly yeah. we, are, we are dealing with a lot there. And in the pharmacy environment it really does happen because they're saturated, the walls are saturated with options and it's quite overwhelming for the poor staff they not only, let alone the pharmacist, who's trained a bit more in, um, you know, medication management.
1: We talk about training and, you know, like naturopaths and nutritionists, herbalists are very well trained in Australia. There is this propensity, though, for non-trained, even staff, and I'm, I will say it in pharmacy, to recommend a supplement where there may not be an adequate knowledge of interactions with medications or indeed, you know, other nutrients. Um, what do you say to that about the the call for appropriately trained people to be managing these sorts of supplements?
2: Absolutely. I think it is so important. And, you know, unfortunately, we're dealing with economic factors where they are young staff. A lot of them are uni students. Um, they're on high rotation. They come and go. And as a trainer myself, I find that really hard because I'm, I'm trying to arm them with the knowledge and help them work with the pharmacist and their customers. But then, you know, two weeks later, it's a new staff member. So there is that as an initial issue. In some pharmacies, you certainly see the lovely older retail managers who have been there for ages and they know everything yeah. and they really do That's work right. with a pharmacist. So you do get that. But, you know, even pharmacists have said to me and they lament Even simply the physical distance of the supplements to their dispensary, you know, because if it's if they don't have any practitioner only brands there, you know, it's even just an effort to have to go and walk down the shelves, they don't have the time to try and work out what supplement to give them. So, we're dealing with a lot of challenges in that environment, but it is such a place of opportunity as well to really optimise and give people those win-wins
1: that they really need. Yeah. I, I just wanted to sort of give equivalence to that, uh, you know, supplement sort of recommendation um, by non-suitably educated people. Oh, absolutely. And um, yeah. Gerald Quigley very commonly reminds me um, that every year he goes into a supermarket just to test out the hypothesis that he can kill himself with paracetamol um, and he buys packets and packets way beyond the toxic amount and he Aww. he just sees if anybody will pull him up and to date nobody no. has <laughs> um, no, And dear. and 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 yet that's <laughs> the, the legislative choice of of the Australian government to allow that medication to be able to be freely available uh, in supermarkets um which you know to me is a little bit of a query we haven't at least i haven't seen any news headlines that have detailed a suicide but i wonder what's happened out there in the in the communities
2: it is really concerning, and Gerald wrote a beautiful um review for my book, which I've got on my back. Cover. Ah. Uh, yeah, and he talks about just the fact that people aren't empowered, um, trying to quote him here, but um, you know he says that you know sometimes there's hope because he talks about um, the misconception that once you're in the illness system, there's no escape, the diagnosis and treatment accepted with a feeling of resignation sometimes there's hopes but Australians are living longer chronic disease is being heavily treated with drugs and really encouragement is offered to become self empowered now we've got that case of self prescribing versus not being self empowered and just going and getting you know that quick fix yeah. you know rather than exploring what the body's actually telling them
1: would you call it self prescribing or guided prescribing
2: you're right we are we we are influenced very heavily aren't we um by marketing and uh, you know all all the various outside influences, both in the pharmaceutical realm and then the supplement realm and then luckily, as practitioners ourselves we 're educated, and we have the influence of the practitioner and the brands influencing our our choices as well so you know, it, it's not as simple as, okay, you make the choice for yourself. You don't actually realise that you're being influenced a lot of the
1: time. Let's discuss your book, um, Your Body is Your Teacher, a little bit. A couple of the chapters, um, you mentioned Gerald quickly spoke about empowering. What do you find is, A, the, the major stance, if you like, of patients in your clinic versus patients that you see in pharmacy with regards to their feeling of empowerment? And how do you tackle that?
2: Yeah, you know, and I, I will be mentioning in my presentation, my book launch, because my clients are such an inspiration because they have taken that time to invest in themselves and that understanding that there is a mind body connection, you know, that whole story of psychosomatic medicine, you know, where our cells do tune into our thoughts and they influence, you know, by um, our mental patternings, just as our physiological um, functioning, you know, or, and the other way around. So, it, yeah, it's, you know, there's this sense of illness and overwhelm with mm. most people. You yeah. know, they feel overwhelmed by illness and they want to stop it versus the people that we see in our clinics who understand this is an opportunity and that I should hone in my illness recovery abilities because it actually makes me healthy, healthier. And and from that, you don't need to be sick to get better. There is always better. So, and I have a chapter on one a lovely older lady who came in saying, oh, there's not much wrong and." We we managed to improve her well being and optimise her longevity in so many ways that it was phenomenal and it was unexpected to her, and as practitioners we're lucky because we see that a lot. But in pharmacy you're dealing with the very other end, yeah, you know, where they're just trying to cope.
1: Yeah, that's right. But you also I read in your bio the opportunity and not shooting the messenger. What do you mean by that?
2: Absolutely, not shutting our bodies down and and also not making them wrong. And that is probably the key message that my my clients teach me is that they learn not to make their bodies wrong. They understand oh these are my symptoms. my body's telling me something. Here's an opportunity to check in, listen, recalibrate, grow and, and you know some of those stories aren't happy stories. it might be a, a, a an acute um, issue that becomes a chronic disease that becomes you know cancer and and they're really struggling and I do include a chapter on oncology because it it is not always a happily ever after. Some people really um, battle with illness, mm. but it's how they rise to that occasion and how they manage manage themselves during that that really you know really makes a difference.
1: And this, uh, I guess, you know what you're talking about. There is something that we really need to be thinking about: an investment in health. And talking about affordability for those people that can't afford regular visits to their naturopath clinic. What about a co-management, you know, sort of model between the naturopath clinic, a visit every now and again to the naturopath working in the pharmacy, looking after the the symptoms, talking with the pharmacist, dialoguing with the doctor. I mean, that that's to me is the perfect healthcare system.
2: How wonderful. And, you know, it, it is unfortunate because I would... I would love, like many of us, to be in a pharmacy environment where we can make a bigger difference, but we're not going to get paid enough. We may get 25 an hour. and That's right. You know, we're professionals. So to be able to bridge that gap and, yeah, you're right. So say, okay, now, you know, Tammy at the local natu- uh, local pharmacist as you're seeing, she'll manage you until you see me in six months and you have that dialogue together. Now, what a great thing because a lot of practitioners struggle with the co-management with doctors because they are very close they don't have the time it's a it's a rare treat when we are able to actively co-manage um, so oh, that's a great
1: idea. I was happy to, as a registered nurse to to sort of handle remedial situations. But once it got into a complex situation, I had my favourites, <laughs> you know, my favourite yeah. naturopaths that I had confidence in their aptitude to recommend out regularly. And uh, they were dotted around Brisbane, <laughs> depending on where the patient was from. And And what do you say about that sort of, the responsibility of referral when, even though you know in a retail situation that you can handle that, but you might not be able to handle it in the most professional way possible.
2: Yeah, they are really stuck, aren't they? And, you know, I keep thinking about here in Melbourne, in Eltham, we have a brilliant pharmacy a compounding pharmacy and uh, a great naturopath has set up her clinic there and she's got other allied therapists there and so they they they're able to kind of bridge all those gaps because they work really well together you know it's it, it's so it's so uncommon sadly because if the dispensary would be the ideal environment where people can come in you know and, and like we said we've got all their case history, so we are managing them very safely but they only need 10 minutes, 5 minutes, 15 minutes to quickly make up a liquid herbal or a compounding thing or something that's going to address their needs quickly. It's low cost for them because there's no appointment um, cost. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish we would see more of those, and I was very blessed to work in a pharmacy in Horsham where Des Lardner, a compounding pharmacist and homeopath, you know, he enabled that and he was the hub of the village more so than the doctors. You know, he, he was it and he knew everyone, but he was very smart in enabling to create this village atmosphere and it does take a village, you know, to, yeah. to, for us to get well. But he had that village in his space. It's and, very clever. Yeah, and it's a win-win.
1: Yes, and I think, you know, you really are talking about the term that rolls off the tongue but really needs to be thought about, the community pharmacist. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, I've spoken with like Jackie Hagidimitri in Brisbane and she runs these community health programs. Um, there's, um, Amanda Bryce and Anna, Anna Natuzzi and Dr. Sally Price over in Western Australia who run these community programs. Um, and it's a, it's a whole, as you, we've just been discussing a co-management here between, uh, you know, pharmacists, naturopath, GP. Um, a nurse, I, sh- I should add in oh, wonderful. there. Wonderful, um, wonderful. Yeah, so it can happen, in, in, it does happen. We just wish it would happen more.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, I know. And, and as a you know a, a, a rep for pracky only brands, and seeing a lot of naturopaths, and some of them practicing from home or in their clinic, and they they are struggling to see people. And of course, we've got many of us are successful and busy, but then there are the quiet times and you think, gosh, if only I could use my time more effectively. Now to tap into a community pharmacy where you can bring your skills and knowledge and really help bridge that gap, this is what we need more of.
1: Absolutely. We know that you're a passionate advocate for mental health. Um, Indeed, you've been touched closely by suicide. Tell us a little bit about that and the reasonings behind writing your book and including chapters of mental health in there.
2: Absolutely, yes. So um, my partner committed suicide when I was pregnant with our boy um, and I really noticed with him a very capable sort of type A personality person, a beautiful man who had a pride issue with his mental health and wasn't really being very open about it. And, of course, you know, we see uh, gladly we're seeing more people talk about it and people in the media and pro- people with high profile are able to Open up that they're bipolar or they have some mental health issues, but there's still that sense where um, symptoms wear you down and yeah. you're stopped by illness. And there's illness and overwhelm. And my partner did suffer from many health conditions, food intolerances. He had chronic back pain, and pain, of course, is one that you know is very difficult to live with. So I really wanted to explore that in, in a chapter in my book and of course it, it really inspires me in my clinic and now I do um, deal with a lot of my clients who are in the same shoes or they've had you know they've lost a son to suicide or a daughter or you know so mental health is a real passion of mine and it was really something important to exploring the book.
1: What do you have to say about the support systems in Australia for mental health or for men- of those suffering from uh, mood or, or mental health issues?
2: I think it's it's certainly improving and we're we're getting into a better space, but there's still that thing of making our bodies wrong. Mm. And you know, it's always and I talk about the psychosocial aspect of illness too and sickness in, in society and illness as an anthropological matter because if you're suffering from, I don't know, a headache or you know, a sore knee, you know, people will be a little bit more sympathetic to you than you're, say, for instance, suffering from addiction or bipolar disorder or you psychosis. And I think there's a few people in the media that are now openly talking about their own personal problems with this, but we certainly have a lot lot of work to go to. And it's interesting how in my clinic I actually find co-management and more referrals with counsellors, psychotherapists, psychologists, um, more so than doctors, because they understand the mind body thing because they see it every day in their clinic. they see that these people are having you know various mental health challenges, but there is this physiological aspect that needs to be joined together for, to, for them to actually recover.
1: What about uh, the initiation of that conversation though, the difficult conversation where you suspect something's wrong, but you don't know, and they're not opening up about it. And I guess from then you go to, what about, you know, responsible referral? Do you tend to refer out just to make sure that they're checked out by the appropriate health professional? Uh, How do you manage that?
2: Yeah, I always say to them, I can work with the physiological parts of your body, the nuts and bolts, but it really it does take a village for you. As you understand for your children, it takes a village. It takes a village for you, and you may see, uh, you know, a therapist or a hypnotherapist for a while, and then you may see someone else. But for me to really get the best benefits of their health and wellbeing uh, from my various testing and supplements and support that I give them. I, I really do encourage it. So not all of them take that up, but at least there's the conversation, and they start to understand. Wow! And you know, one of the um, very interesting chapters in my book was on the um, was on was on a beautiful client who'd lost uh, their sense of taste and smell from grief, and how how grief really impacts our our body. You know, and then then they're just managing the the health, the body parts by you know whatever way and not realising, oh, there's this underlying emotional, spiritual aspect that I need to work on. So of course, if we can work on that while we're working on the bodily parts, it's perfect. We'll get the best outcomes for that person.
1: We're all going to experience grief of some sort during our life. And most of us will handle that reasonably well. So how do you help patients Suffering from grief, not experiencing it, but suffering from grief, to then, you know, open up a bud, a leaf, to then journey on to recovering from grief.
2: It's so important, and I do uh, facilitate a grief support group in my clinic. So it's a free um, group. And, you know, I just think of that visual because on our group page, I've got this picture of concrete, and there's just a little little green bud coming through and the concrete's all cracked, yeah. you know, and we do talk about, you know, that those cracks in our heart or in our – those cracks that we feel at those spaces where the light can shine through. And the group is really, really important, I feel, because a lot of us aren't part of a church or part of – um you know, and AA does it really well where they have ongoing support, you know, and mentors. But most of us don't have that, you know, unless we're part of a religious group. And we all experience grief. You're right, like every one of us in various ways. And it may even be not a loss that you've had, you know, pre- recently or a long time ago. It may be that your child is disabled and you are grieving the loss of your own life, your ability to have a career oh, or what have you. So, yes, yeah, so the grief looks in many different ways, and it's normal. Let's make this normal. Let's talk about it. Let's not make our bodies wrong. You know, disease and grief and anything that happens to us is always an initiation into personal leadership. So with the group, it's interesting because some people will talk openly and share. Others may cry. Others may just benefit from listening and understanding and getting that perspective Wow, I'm not alone. Everybody has grief. Everybody's carrying something. And those conversations are so important in our clinics, in our blogs, in our marketing material, client to client relationships, the programs that we run, the books that we write. You know, we, you know I feel so honoured to be in our industry because we do this. And let's keep doing it more because it makes it normalises it and makes people understand that. You know, when you have a mental health issue, and I spoke about this um, in my webinar for Your Health, Your Choice, I did a webinar on natural pro- approaches to your best mental health. And and because the public were listening to that, I, I spoke a lot about how, you know, it's interesting how when we have a, a physical problem, ailment, you know, it's okay to talk about, but when it's a, a mental health issue, we're less likely to. And it's oh, okay. absolutely. It could just be a nutritional deficiency that we're dealing with and we can work it out. So I think we, we can play a really big role in this and continue
1: to. I think, you know, I'm, I asked before about the initiation of the conversation, and I guess that's particularly relevant with, and and I will say men, but I'm not just talking about men because women go through this as well, obviously. Nobody wants to be the or of the group. Nobody wants to be the sad sack. Mm-hmm. How you going, Mary? How are you going, John? No, oh, I'm actually crap. The ingrained answer for that question is, great, thanks. Good, thanks. Yeah. It takes, we've mentioned it before, the community or a caring friend. Now, whether that be, you know, one, two, five, 20 people, um, you know, you mentioned church before and there, there's a function for that community to look after their, their clan to say, no, you're not. There's mm. something going on. Are you okay, mate? Like what's really going on? But that's a brave step for the person, for the friend to initiate that, because then you can open up a whole bag of worms. So let me bring that back to what we were talking about at the beginning. You're a naturopath working in a pharmacy. How would you initiate that sort of conversation where it can lead to a whole bag of worms that you may really have to, you know, quickly involve some other practitioners in there? We do
2: have that responsibility. And The perfect example, I was working in in the Horsham Clinic and I was very new to naturopathy. I'd experienced um, partial paralysis. I'd had Guillain-Barre syndrome. I'd just finished studying and I was working in this very busy, you know, compounding pharmacy with a clinic in it and it was during a long period of drought, uh, 12 years of drought out in the Wimmera, the Wheat Belt of Victoria, the West, and most of the clients that were coming in were big, burly farmers who were suffering mental health issues mm. and risk of suicide because of the pure fact of their financial burden and the, and that there were like maybe third generation farmers who were just beside themselves having to put down their animals. And, and as a new practitioner, I was like, wow, okay, this is this is so important what we do and what I do from here. You know, it could be life or death for someone. And not over dramatising it, but you know we we have a responsibility. So of course I did speak to the pharmacist and who spoke to the doctor, local doctor, and you know it, it creates that ripple effect where you're okay, we're being we're holding you. But of course it does take those com- tough conversations of, hey mate, things are you know this is not good, you need help, mm. and. I feel maybe a little bit blessed in that after I'd lost my partner, I was I was carried for six months from my local community, and um, it was difficult to uh, take help and accept help. And people want to help, you know. Kevin Hines, who is quite a famous American, who jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge in in San Francisco, he he now made a doc, yeah, yeah survived yeah. and has got a documentary about suicide. But he talks about that because he walked up and down that bridge for forty five minutes just hoping and hearing voices in his head. He was suffering psychosis and he was just hoping for someone just to pat him on the shoulder and say, are you okay, mate? And I don't think we have to try and have the answers. We just have to be human and say, are you okay? Do you need a hand? Or just anything that just connects people and gets them, makes them feel that Somebody else is
1: there, and certainly somebody else is there. Um, you mentioned a couple of words there. Are you okay? And I just wanted to do a call out for anybody listening or anybody who might have patients they need help with. And in Australia, we have this brilliant initiative called Are You Okay? dot um, org dot au. Please um, use that that um, resource there for people. There's others as well, isn't there, Julie?
2: Yes, that's right. Of course, Lifeline and I think Headspace is really good for younger people. So we certainly have got, um, you know, those numbers. I think they're 24-7, a lot of them, that you can call and have somebody talk you through things.
1: You mentioned farmers, and, and I want to do another call-out to a, another segment of our community. That's builders in the building industry. Um uh, mates in construction. Um, for we, you know, we're losing about thirty people in the building industry per month. I think the latest stats are, um, which is a sad and sorry state of affairs in Australia. There is help there, so please access these resources. Julie, is part of the dilemma that we're seeing that we're just now failing to listen to our bodies.
2: Oh, I would have to agree entirely. You know, um, my chapter in the Healthy Body book is called "Your Body Knows Best" and. Perhaps we have become so disconnected with ourselves, and this does happen in the mental health area as well as the Mm. physical area where we're just shutting things down. We need an antidepressant. We need a painkiller to numb things, to function. You know, behind every symptom there does lie a purpose, and I quote um, Edgar Heim in my book. He says, interestingly, in the course of the 50-year lifespan, the average adult suffers one life-threatening illness, 20 serious illnesses and around 200 fairly serious illnesses. So considering those statistics, it's interesting because we are we avoiding the inevitable? Uh, um, why are we not allowing our body to show any signs of sickness? And, of course, back in the day when a child was unwell, you know, childhood illness was always... Um, you know, quite serious infectious illness um, and if the child survived or when the child survived it helped um, them strengthen emerge as a stronger whole human being and of course um, any kind of conflict gives us greater maturity and growth so maybe trying to approach our bodies with that reverence and saying wow it's telling me something instead of quickly racing off to the pharmacy to get that quick fix and to soldier on there comes a time when the body will start to scream and that's the time when we really need to address our
1: discord julie such wise words i, I, I love how you said with reverence and, and i really do think we need to give more reverence to a what our bodies are telling us but b also the natural medicines available um, to to help whether it be an agile or, or an alternative um, in a responsible system um, I love what you how you've worked that into both a retail space, but also a practitioner clinic space, and you're engaging this dialogue for a, a far better healthcare approach than what's been previously shown. Um, well done to you. Good work.
2: Thank you, Andrew. And of course, as any practitioner, you know I've, I've done this because I've had my own health crises too and you know none of us like being sick so as practice we we're often inspired by our own um discord as well so it's a great conversation to have and i've just felt um very blessed to share with you today
1: this is fx medicine i'm andrew whitfield cook
0: NatEx 2021 has ended, but you can still get access to all of the recorded trainings and presentations through the NatEx bundle or Natrepreneur library. Gain instant access to the Natrepreneur resources, courses, trainings, meditations, and recordings that will inspire, motivate, and teach you to leverage your unique skills, master your mindset, and grow your business as a practitioner. Find out more and get access by visiting tamiguest.com slash natrepreneur-experience.